Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. Okay, can you see me? Can you hear me okay? I gotta, I gotta get in there. Gotta get in there. <clears throat> there we go. Okay. There, we, there go. we go. Hey, man. Good to see you. Good to see you, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm still in the midst of uh, moving. So I, uh, I've, I've got a little bit left to do tonight then i go to sacramento for four days and i come back and then it's just clean 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 well thank so. you for taking the time to do this today within the of middle course. of all that dude thank you for reminding me i was like oh i absolutely <laughs> swung a miss on this one usually everything goes right in the calendar immediately oh so. when i when i asked you i i was like oh i got days before i have to like even put it in my calendar and worry about it and then i went to send the reminder i was like oh that's in two days it was yeah i, I think we were both a little <laughs> organized getting this one together yeah and I also didn't do my normal thing is like when everybody, anyone reaches out to me or, or for something like this, or even just like standing on the street, I'm like, send me an email. If it's not, <laughs> if it's not an email, it doesn't go in my calendar. If it's not my calendar, it does not exist. I will not remember this. Uh, so. <laughs> well, I'm glad we worked it out. I'm excited to talk yeah. to you about a lot of stuff, but the first thing yes, I please. do have to do is I have to get through a quick ad read that I'm going to make you sit through. I apologize. No, congratulations. <laughs> Oh, thank you. It's uh, not real. This week's episode of 39 Minute Conversations is not technically presented by American Auto. A lot of sitcoms these days, don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of many of them. They lean toward dramedy, character study, you know, shows dealing with trauma, loss, finding some humor in those things. And I love that shit. I really do. But sometimes all you want to do is watch a show that's built to make you laugh. And there hasn't been a lot of good, pure comedy on TV the last few years. There's been a little bit of a resurgence here recently, Abbott Elementary, Grand Crew. But there's one show show flying under the radar that you should definitely check out American Auto, which is about a floundering about floundering executives at an American car company trying to deal with a rapidly changing industry. Starring Anna Gasteyer, Harriet Dyer, John Barinholtz, Ty White, Michael Benjamin Washington, X Mayo, created by Justin Spitzer, American Auto is, in my opinion, the heir apparent to shows like 30 Rock, Arrested Development, Better Off Ted. The jokes are rapid fire, very funny, the kind of show we don't get enough of these days. If we don't support it, shows like it, we might not get much more. So check out American Auto on NBC and Peacock. And hello, I'm Brian T. Arnold, and this is 39 Minute Conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones, but I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. My guest today is a writer, director, actor, comedian, and improviser. He directed the horror comedy Bloodsucking Bastards, which he also co-wrote with his comedy group, Dr. God. He also teaches and performs improv comedy at The Pack, a comedy theater here in Los Angeles. Please welcome Brian James O'Connell. Right, it feels like you covered everything. Nice to see you again. <laughs> well, see you, man. Uh, I think we did it. Um, a few we met a few years back. I was I was on a sketch yeah, yeah. comedy team at IO. You were obviously you performed in top there for a long time, and it always felt like you know you were a big deal there. You know, you were you kind of felt like you ran the place. Uh, but you're always very Sometimes. friendly and welcoming, and I always appreciated that. And I'm excited to actually like finally really sit down with you and get to know you better oh thank you i appreciate that yeah it is uh as you get older you're just like 
Yeah, I was a, I was a big deal at this improv comedy theater. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like that's. I mean, I don't know. The slowest guy at the Olympics still made the Olympics. I'll take exactly, it, sure. exactly. And I can't even point to that. You know, like I can't be like I was a big. I was where was I a big deal? Not you know. I I took classes a lot of places. I performed at some places, but I didn't run. Well, I, I wasn't like the guy at the place. You were the guy at the stuff. place. You've done some stuff. I've done some uh, stuff. I don't know. Being the guy at the place is sort of a double-edged sword, you know, because <laughs> like, uh, then that's also the person that everyone complains to, which is fine. I don't mind people sure. complaining. It's it's when they start blaming me. You know, it's like when you mentioned 30 Rock, it's like that, uh, that the fake when they have to go to Boston to do the show and she makes up a name of a fake person that everyone could blame, <clears throat> which is hilarious because uh, that's an old, I saw, what was the documentary about the uh, producer? I can't remember his name. He did uh, all the he'd been around forever and ever and he was john uh john denver's like tour manager like early on in his career mm-hmm. and that's one of the things where he like john denver called him from europe he's like the tour, tour is terrible the hotels are terrible the food is terrible and then he was like i'll tell you what i'm gonna do all right hold on a second and then calls him <laughs> back like five minutes later he goes okay it's this guy in scotland who's overseeing the whole european tour his name is whatever he goes i just fired him so from moving forward, you tell the kid, you tell the crew, you tell the band, things are gonna be much better. The hotels are gonna be. He's like, I made them up. Didn't exist. <laughs> so a lot of times where I felt like uh, there were sometimes where people were com- would complain about me or say things about me, and I'm just like, that sounds like a guy you made up because that's not what I'm doing at all. <laughs> well, so like it it doesn't fit the narrative either because it's like I'm working eighty to one hundred hour weeks. Yeah. For free. Yeah. This is my grand Machiavellian plan. And it's it's a terrible plan. (laughs) I've done this all wrong. Obviously, you were more tapped into IO than I was, but I never heard a negative thing about you. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, Okay, good. Knock on wood. (laughs) Before the pandemic, I was already kind of like starting to step back a little bit from improv and sketch to focus on on screenwriting. And that's kind of where this podcast came from to kind of because I needed something performative again and social again. Um, I want to ask, this is where I start a lot of these episodes. So the last three years, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. has your life been, have, have, has it been like? What have you learned about yourself? What, how did you change? Oh, how, let's look back I on got, this wonderful time. Yeah, I got very lucky early on, um, because I was working on two projects. One of, uh, which was the Dr. God animated show held in on mm-hmm. sci-fi channel, so we did our second season completely remotely because it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, which was really nice too, because then um, NBC Universal bought us all professional independent voiceover rigs to just live in our house. And they're like, that's nice. Added to the budget, called a gift to the cast. I'm just like, no, if you brought us into a vocal booth, you would be real huge insurance liability. <laughs> and, if, and you don't and you don't want our cooties. You don't want us because it was so early in the disease, nobody knew sure. anything about it. They're like, you touch it, it's yours. So that's nice. I got that in my closet <laughs> right now. It makes it makes voiceover auditions very easy. So I was working on that. And so at least I had money and income coming in and something creative to do. And it was with all my best friends mm-hmm. and Dr. God. So it made it, it made the workflow uh doable because it was the second season we'd already done it uh and we had great we had a great executives who gave us great notes and it sort of made it easier for that to keep going <clears throat> until of course you know series of layoffs and you know another yeah. series of layoffs and it's like cer- as you know how it goes like it's certainly you get to a level of executive where you just run out of angels you just <laughs> run out of people that like your show and care about it are you so saying that there is that 
Are you saying that there is turmoil in the TV industry right now? That there's, uh, <laughs> is that possible? It was even then. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was even then. It's, and that's just sort of the nature of our business. Mm-hmm. The new guy, the new guys come in and they want their own stuff, which makes sense because sure. if the stuff from their predecessor is successful, they don't get any credit for it. Mm-hmm. So why, why continue to like sort of run on that? I don't. Uh, I feel like take a W where you can take a W. And our show is so massively cheap mm-hmm. i think looking back on it if they had realized oh we're going to be inside for three years or it's going to be so long for this stuff to come back and animation being animation and, mm-hmm. and taking off the way it is they probably should have looked at the ledger and been like for what we're getting to fill the hours this costs nothing <laughs> <clears throat> nothing uh and then i was also continuing to work and that's where i got hard is because i was continuing work i'm the um I'm the I'm the writer of the official adaptation of the Anarchist Cookbook. I've been working on that mm. since 2019. Wow. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, I beat out like 30 other different guys because it's a cookbook. There, there, sure. there's no story. There's no narrative. There's no right. characters. It's just you know four se- four sections. You know, d- drugs, weapons. You know that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, explosives. Uh, and so a good portion of that took me down some really gnarly rabbit holes mm-hmm. uh, the internet and the dark web and the way i always like to put it is that like everyone else i was horrified by the events on january 6th but i wasn't surprised yeah you know yeah it was very weird to sit in there and watch this stuff live um watching like cnn uh anchors being like we're not sure who these people are i'm like that's a three percenter those are proud boys those are the oath keepers that's baked alaska baked alaska i know for a fact has covid right now and he's in nancy pelosi's office so a lot of that um really took a, a dive on my mental health so uh, yeah at the at the uh grateful urging of my girlfriend i, I went into therapy and that 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 helped a lot because yeah. it's it's an it's a as everybody else is going through the stress and pressure of being quarantined and not knowing what the future is like, I was doing that as well as filling my brain with the most hateful shit, mm-hmm. the, the most dangerous shit you probably ever heard. Like uh, I'm confident that I'm on somebody's watch list somewhere. Just, I feel just from the internet search. <laughs> I feel exactly the same. I this yeah. was pre-pandemic, but I my first mm-hmm. script that kind of got me some attention was um, also like it was not quite anarchist cookbook level, but it was about these sort of Mm. right-wing uprising in the country. And I wrote it like right before Charlottesville happened, but I was doing so much (laughs) like it turned for, cause I was trying to write it as like this sort of satire of like, man, it'd be crazy if these things happened. And then I was just like, Oh, well my, my satire became ripped from the headlines thriller. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It was all, yeah. All the research, all the dark stuff, like, yeah, I am positive. Yeah. I am also positive that, you know, they're if they come for you, they're coming for me. It's, it's going to happen to yeah. us. And then on top of that, too, there was an April, uh, there was the other thing I'm working on that it's my own independent project. Uh, there was a quadruple murder in Mandan, North Dakota, which is right next to Bismarck. It's kind of their twin cities, you know, like mm-hmm. St. Saint Paul, Minneapolis is, you know, like Mandan, Bismarck. <clears throat> and as a chiropractor, went in uh, to a uh, in like industrial sort of um, rental uh, business, place of business, you know, family business, uh, and just brutally stabbed and shot four people. And absolutely no one has any idea why. Yeah. Uh, and so I just got that and sort of the, <clears throat> my, my radar went off. And so I'd been working on that for a good long while on top of it. And the, the, the twists and turns of that story are so wild. I went to the trial, like oh, wow. thanks to the, yeah, thanks to the slow moving wheels of justice and a 
combination. I was going to go teach somewhere and it didn't work out. And then I went to, and, and then I went, I'm going to go up there for two days of research. And, and it just worked out. I was like, Oh, Oh, like, well, they're having the trial. It start. I can just stay next. So yeah, Liz came up, uh, met me up there. And then we did like a, a, a road trip down South. Cause now we were finally like able to be outside yeah, or at least go to places. So we're like, all right, let's take a road trip. So we, yeah, Monday morning, we went to the trial. Uh, I sat about 20 feet away from him. <laughs> he absolutely did not think he, d- he did it. Uh, it was very sure. clear. Uh, I was very, we got lucky. It was the day that the uh, CBI, which is like the state version of the uh, FBI, mm-hmm. those guys were, um, were testifying and like, and kudos to them because they, I knew just about everything there was to know about the case that was publicly available. Mm-hmm. And those, they did a really good job of keeping that stuff sort of in-house. Like when he shot him nine times, I didn't know it was a revolver, which means he mm-hmm. reloaded, you know, that <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then, uh, and then, you know, uh, and then August 1st of uh, this past year, uh, he hung himself in jail. So we'll have no idea what's going on. So the stuff about it was, I couldn't write it as a true crime. My original idea was like, I'll do like a Fargo kind of thing or like the mm-hmm. killing, but it's so, it's so unbelievable as truth that I had to, I had to make it a horror comedy. I had to make it like, mm-hmm. like an X-Files mm-hmm. meets psych kind of thing where, um, and I added like a supernatural eldritch horror aspect to it. Because if I just tried to write it straight, the, the executive notes would all be like, but the, but what's his motive? Why did he did it? We don't know. No right. one knows. Right. And now no one will ever know. It's, it's still going because they're actually, his lawyers are appealing to the uh, North Dakota st- uh, state Supreme court right now that just because he's dead doesn't mean he doesn't have the right to appeal his case and get it overturned. <laughs> so oh, I was like, geez. yeah, it's all, it's, it's all legal arguments. It's all about setting yeah. precedent. So like, that's, that's the stuff I've been working on. There's another thing I'm working on that I can't tell you about, but it's about sure. it's a true crime, serial killers, child sex trafficking. How deep does this conspiracy go? Things I'm just like, can someone hire me to write like on the Powerpuff Girls? Yeah, I will write them. I will write a My Little Pony today, please. <laughs> How- and so it's funny you said yeah. like not to go crazy during the you know doing this podcast is one of the ways I wrote a book about being crazy during yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, for a year I wrote a book pretty much like one line or one paragraph at a time, just when I had the thought. And literally I was like, I'm going to go crazy. I need to write something. I was like, oh, let's write the book from the perspective of someone who's crazy. So yeah. not, I mean, if you read the whole hundred pages, it makes sense in a, a way. So I'm doing a different project with it. But um, yeah, it was just something to be like, yeah, I wrote a book. What's it about? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It's, about nothing. <laughs> it's madness. Yeah, I want so you brought up something that I do want to I d- dive into because I think it's very interesting to me. Um, the the ability to and I think need to find mm. humor in these in really dark things. Where do you think yeah. that uh, comes from for you? And yeah, like how like I don't know if my first as much as I'm a comedy person and I do like dark comedy, mm. I don't know if my first thought would have been. I'm going to take this murder trial and turn it into a horror comedy. You know what I mean? So where does that, yeah. where does <laughs> yeah. that, where does that come from for you? Um, I think I've always sort of been that way. Like I always struggle, struggle with idea, ideation and, and depression for a good mm-hmm. long while. Uh, I'm much better now. I'm good. I haven't had those thoughts in years. I'm, I'm Great. Good. still, still in therapy. Uh, <clears throat> I, I left for a while. Yeah. I left for a while. And then I just recently came back. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, this stuff is getting, cause all these projects are getting up again. And I'm just like, Oh, uh, it's just, it's, you just need a release valve. I think for me, 
I've always sort of liked the darker stuff. I've always been, even as a young kid, I was always drawn to like, you know, Robin Williams and Carlin and, mm-hmm. and, and Pryor and those guys. And I just knew that there was something important about doing that. And I think it's just as I grew up and I was sort of like uh, such an angry young kid and an angry young man, mm-hmm. that was sort of like, well, dark comedy is at least something you're allowed to laugh at and still be like edgy and still yeah. be like funny <clears throat> or be cool or whatever. Uh, which is ironic because I don't like, I don't like mean humor. Like I yeah. don't like. Same, same. Like, yeah. Like, I don't want to mention any names, but there are certain TV shows where all the characters are fucking brutal to each other. People yeah. are like, That's just like my friends and me. I'm like, your friends are awful. It's, <laughs> it's, one, thing, it's one thing to bust each other's balls or like, yeah. you know, give each other, you know, give each other shit about stuff and all that. But just like the the lengths of that stuff uh, so i think the dark comedy for me just as it became more and more i was just like now even as like a, a, a professional comedian uh quote unquote i think it's just for us like i like the challenge and i like hitting that bullseye at the center of the venn diagram of like mm-hmm. oh that's really really funny but oh god it's jesus christ oh god yeah. like that's that to me is like i I change it and so it's a weird thing like for like mandan uh, the mandan one which is called strange magic it is very like rough it's very like sort of jesus christ what the fuck you know this you know lovecraftian mm-hmm. stuff but then the comedy is very sweet and it's about being friends and i think some of that too comes from my love of professional wrestling and the best <laughs> friendship based wrestling is always the best wrestling you know yeah, what i mean absolutely yeah. um you said you were an angry young man growing up um you grew up oh hell yeah we're both, uh, I, some people would say I'm not from the South. I think it counts. I'm from West Virginia. You're from North Carolina. Yeah, um, yeah. That's about, that's about the same, yeah. Yes. Cool. Where, some, where, in, where in coal country are you from, man? I'm from a small town called Bluefield, uh, which was okay. like right on the Virginia border. Um, you're from mm-hmm. High Point, right? High Point, North Carolina. I'm born and raised, yeah. So I, I don't think I've ever been to High Point, but I've driven, I've driven by it a hundred times between there and Myrtle Beach. Uh, oh yeah, so, I mean, my parents, my parents retired to North Myrtle Beach. So my pa- uh, my parents are retired to Myrtle Beach. <clears throat> oh, that's fantastic. We should all hang um, out. Yeah, my uh, High Point is known for two things. Well, I mean, technically, I'm Piedmont Triad, which is Greensboro, High Point, North Car- uh, Winston Salem. Okay. Uh, that that's sort of the area. Not a one of them are really big enough to be big on their own. Um, so I was born in Greensboro Hospital, raised in High Point. Went to college in Winston-Salem. I'm Piedmont Triad through and through. Mm-hmm. High Point is known for two things. One is being for being the furniture capital of the world. Yep, I was going to say. Uh, I know that. Yeah. And the other one is our nickname is Little Chicago, which was very uh, very eye-opening to my parents who moved from Chicago to uh-huh. North Carolina. Um, High Point is the 259th largest city in America, and we are currently number 34 in murders per capita. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and it has been that. I mean, the, the first guy to tell my mom that, like, oh, Diane, don't you know that this is Little Chicago was a doctor in 1973. Like, we've had that reputation for a long while. The actual Chicago is currently only 28th in murders in, per capita. <laughs> and then I just found out because I'm writing, I'm also writing something about my hometown, mm-hmm. uh, looking it up. Yeah, like, great. We're 34. I think Greensboro is like 45 and Winston-Salem was 56. So just all of us are like, yeah. Pow, 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 pow. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. So that's, that's where I'm from. Uh, but, <laughs> 
So it's like it's a, the, the dark joy. You gotta you gotta laugh to keep from crying, which is also the Irish Catholic thing. So that's probably where the dark gallows humor comes from. Yeah, I think. I mean, I was I was raised uh, Roman Catholic, so I I think also ah, a similar anyway, like yeah. a lot of a lot of a lot of guilt, a lot of you know, find trying to find the humor in very dark things. Um, so you there's something in your bio that i am i am a little jealous of actually please you went to you went to north carolina school of the arts that is correct where we're from you know there's not a lot of that like not a lot of art schools not a lot of film stuff i looked at north carolina school of the arts i really wanted to go i for one thing i was just i i did was uncomfortable with the loans like i was a little scared of it and i was a little scared (laughs) of studying something that can be a very hard business to get into but amen but let me live vicariously through you a little bit. Please. Like how, how, like that's a very prestigious school that a lot of great people have come out of. Danny McBride, Jody yeah. Hill, uh, oh, David yeah? Gordon Green, uh, Mary Louise Parker, Chris Parnell, Jada Pinkett Smith. Like just, it's a, and Brian James O'Connell. So they, Anthony Mackey, Jonathan Majors. We've there you go. People. Yeah. Um, so when you were there, were were you there at the same time as some of some of those people and what oh yeah me and dave me and dave are gordon green are the same graduating class and dan and those boys are like years behind me i went there i was lucky enough to go from like 98 class of 98 the school is very young the school has been around for a while like but the school of filmmaking part uh department has is very young i'm part of the second graduating class ever okay it's still a fairly young school and uh they they sort of not disrespecting anybody else because obviously lots of people have you know and there's a high school program anthony mackey was in the high school program when i was mm-hmm. there i saw him in a great irish play he does a, he did a fantastic version acapella version of take it down from the mast <laughs> uh which was lovely so from like 98 to like 2002 is sort of known as the golden years where a lot of people came out of that uh mm-hmm. danny and, and danny and jody and and dave all have rough rough house pictures together so mm-hmm. they he's bounded down all the way to halloween kills uh, Craig Zobel, obviously. Jeff Nichols was a couple years behind me. Mm-hmm. He's great. He he was up for an Oscar for directing. Oh yeah, Loving love, a couple love years Jeff ago. Nichols. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. My my buddy Zine, my very very good friend Zine Baker, who was the editor on Thor Ragnarok and 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 WandaVision. Uh, God, I mean, J- Jeff Sebenick is on the. He's editing The Mandalorian. You got Shaleen uh, uh was the showrunner on Major Crimes. He was mm-hmm. on Nip Tuck and and. Um, <clears throat> whatever major crimes was oh the closer before that so there's just like just a murderer's row of talent that came yeah. out of there that i just kind of got like my, you know my best friend brian mandel is just like he did alaska the last frontier he's got like a list of survivor super successful uh mm-hmm. reality shows behind him he's doing documentary about bill graham right now on mm-hmm. his own pocket so it's just like famous famous music promoter because he's a huge deadhead and fishhead mm-hmm. So I got very lucky that I was also in state. Like it wasn't an out of state. Thing. Right. I was, was right down right. the road. It was right down the road. They I got in there when we were still working out the abandoned diaper factory. It wasn't until my last two years that they built uh that giant back lot with all the like every time I go back, it's just like, what is that? And they're like, that's the animation building where we spent 34 million dollars. I'm like, Jesus, okay. I guess yeah. And it really is sort of a crown jewel in the university system now. Whereas back there, we were literally like, Hey, we're having this. Uh, we're having our class in a trailer, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I I got a little bit of that, but uh, mostly it's just those those friendships, like, and also the drama program too. Like my buddy Brian Abraham is uh, originated the role and is playing 
uh, Hagrid on Broadway. He's a, oh, wow. the Curse of the Child. Yeah, that's yeah. that's my boy Abe's. We used to live together. Um, <laughs> John John Daly was a year behind me in school of drama. Brett Gelman, a bunch of different people along. Like it just, I just found out Jonathan Majors was. Uh, I didn't know that's when I didn't know. Of, yeah, I I just found out a couple of days ago. I was like, oh shit. Uh, yeah, similar similar to Anthony Mackie he was there at UC uh, at UNCSA, and then he went on to um, Juilliard. And yeah. then got that like yeah anthony mackie was in the same juilliard class as like lee pace and i'm just like jesus christ that's enough talent alone yeah and then you're saying yeah i also figured out found out that jonathan majors got hired his first role before he even graduated which was like oh very tom holtz that's the most famous story is that tom <laughs> holtz tom holtz uh when he was at uh between his the summer between his junior and his senior year he booked the lead role in the broadway premiere of equus oh and then man. so okay. yeah so yeah, basically the school just said, you graduated. You don't have to come back. <laughs> Here's your diploma. You're you're in a world famous Tony Award winning play. You're gonna be okay. You're when you were at North Carolina School of the Arts, did you have that feeling of like these people are going places, we're going places, or was it just like we're just a bunch yeah. of kids? Who knows? Oh, uh, my freshman year, I had a lot of imposter syndrome because I was like, I I came to it late i always thought i was gonna be a musician but my parents are very much about education my dad didn't go back to school until after his accident my mom only did two years of uh, radiological technology study at saint joseph so like going to college was not a question you are going Mm -hmm. but whatever and so my sister had gone to a private school so i think once my parents were like thank god it's something creative thank god it's something that he loves we trust that he's not going to drop out of after two years because if i was studying finance forget it like that's Or if I went to like a regular state school that was just like, find out what you want to do for the first two years. I'd probably been angling to like get my band on the road and then get like sure. successful enough that I'd be like, hey, I can't, I can't go back for my junior year. So they were that. And then my dad saw the, uh, you know, the tuition. They were like, oh, thank God. It's not a private school. <laughs> and then being, and then being slowly like, you know, close enough to where I could come back, you know, be independent, but like, it's only a 20, 30 minute drive from Winston-Salem yeah. to High Point. So I think that all sort of came together. And then, yeah, having all those guys around who were like, they, that I was just constantly surrounded with super talented, really creative people that knew that they wanted to be filmmakers since they were four. Like mm-hmm. they like had cameras when they were kids and had been making movies and stuff. And I've been doing a little bit of that, but like only as like side project of like, in high school, they're like, oh, you can do a book report, you can do a written report, or you can make a video. I'm like, oh, let's make a video. Like that sounds way better. Sure. Um, and so I think eventually once it got to the point where I was starting to, I think around my sophomore year where uh, people were like doing fun things like, like naming characters after me in a, a movie, like, you know, just like a rib, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but also act, act, asking me to act in their things. And then once people start to see that, like what you're capable of, cause you're done, you're not just doing exercises of like learning how to light, you're learning stuff of like, this is the type of movies they want to make. And I think there was enough of it where people were like, Oh, that's, funny. oh that's cool, O'Connell. I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> All right. And then, and you know, just um, I had a lot of really good people that uh, around me that um, taught, they were able to see the the uh, kindness buried deep inside of me so <laughs> that they would ignore all the annoying angry white man shit that I was doing. Let's talk about um, the interesting yeah. choice of phrase, angry white man, because that was oh, one yeah. of the first movies that you directed. And it, second one, yeah, yeah. Second movie you directed, and it was um um was it a lot of North Carolina School of the Arts people? Is that how you found? Oh yeah, it was my it, it was my best friends. Brian Mandel uh, produced it. It was the DP. My friend Bob Harrison wrote it. 
produced it with Mandel and started it along with this guy <laughs> named Tim Tracy, who was our producer. Love Tim Tracy. <clears throat> um, and Mandel had shot my first one. And so when they were putting together Angry White Man, um, Bob, Bob is very close with Dave Green still. Bob, Bob and Dave still talk pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and Bob lives in Wilmington, as does Mandel. So when those guys are in town shooting, you know, like, hey, come on down to the set. You know, we're, we're doing gemstones today. Uh, Richard Wright will Richard Wright will pick you up at the front, right? Whatever. <laughs> so Bob, uh, Dave, Dave Green read the script and was like, Bob, this is awesome. This is great. Um, you have to play the lead role. Mm-hmm. You there's um, there's you will go crazy trying to direct an actor to just do a version of you that you do better. <laughs> and they were like, okay, well, that makes sense. We're going to trust them. That's true. <clears throat> um, and at that point, they're like, well, I don't want to write it, direct it, and star it, and produce it. That's too many hats. That's always usually the, the sign of a bad movie if you see the same name over and over and over sure. again, right? You know, scored by, right? You're like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, and so they're like, well, I worked on, and Mandel was like, not only is O'Connell one of our best friends, and he has the same sense of humor we do, he goes, I worked <clears throat> on his first movie when I was the DP, which mm-hmm. was a really brutal serial killer horror movie. If he can do that, and not lose the entire set that he could probably do our, you know, silly little redneck comedy. And so, yeah, right. they called me up, Mandel called me up and said, Hey, do you want to, I was like, absolutely. I do, but I guess I should do the thing where I should read the script, you know, and just be a professional. <laughs> so he called, he called me on Friday. I read the script on Saturday and then Sunday was the Super Bowl. I remember that. Cause we were at the, we were at the, uh, we were at the house that Connell and, and Cowick and Tommy were all living at we're mm-hmm. watching the Super Bowl. And he called me and said, Hey, what do you think? I said, I think it's fantastic. When, like, Let's go, man. What's what's happening? He goes, yeah, we're thinking about shooting in April. I was like, oh, this year? <laughs> it is. It's February 2nd. Right. <clears throat> so we it, it all came together really, really quickly. And that was, uh, I should take it back a step because then uh, when Mantle called me on Friday, it was like, hey, you want to do it? We're going to do this. He was like, um, yeah, read the script, man. Um, um, do you know who the comedian Matt Berry is? I was like, Dr. Lucian Sanchez? <laughs> I absolutely do. Because I was like, I was a huge Garth Marenghi nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was like, yeah, we want to get him. We're getting him to play Bulldog Hayes. And that was like, because <clears throat> not a lot of people know this. So like Matt sort of considers himself a musician first. Oh, wow. No. Uh, oh, yeah. That's why Toast of London always has an original song by him. That's why he's always working music into stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite. Yeah. So so the idea of him being able to come to America, play a cowboy kind of character because all those guys grew up watching uh old cowboy movies on the bbc because that's how the bbc did it to fill daytimes that's why sure. so many english and that's why so many english and australian actors do such great cowboy accents is because they grew up doing it as kids okay <clears throat> yeah and we got we got very lucky that um he sent it to the agent in the, in the uk and then when mandel followed to call it up the agent was like well you're in luck matt's in my office right now reading the script and in the background he's like uh, tell them I'm 30 pages in. It's hilarious. I'll do it. Right. And that was it. That's all we got. <laughs> so the idea um, that you could play songs and then and and do a cowboy sort of thing and come to America. It's, it's his it's his first American film. Yeah. And his yeah. agents helped us because they were really, really high on him and trying to push him to become sort of like the next Ricky Gervais. Like he has mm-hmm. the office here, now he's gonna have the office in America kind of thing. So makes sense. The office you, the show, not the location. You worked with uh that cast was fantastic. In, in addition to Matt Barry, you had Steve yeah. McGee and um uh Steve Agee and uh and Scoot McNary Mary, yeah. Mary Birdsong and then <clears throat> I don't I, I want us to talk more about it, but we're we already are down to eight minutes left. So I want to move sure, sure. 
So they also did uh, Blood Sucking Bastards a couple years, that is correct. Like four years later, and the cast of that one again is insane. Fran, uh, pretty lucky. Fran Kranz, yeah. uh, yeah. and a guy named uh, Pedro Pascal, who uh, yeah, uh, I keep. It's funny because I have a Google alert for all my stuff, for all my projects, for Doctor God, mm-hmm. for my name, for Blood Sucking Bastards, all that, and I can always tell when Pedro's doing well. Which I mean, he's do- he's doing what he's been on. A he's doing he's doing all right. Yeah, he's been on a tear. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and we got perfectly lucky because we got him right after he got cast, but before he had w- left and shot it. So I was like, perfect for, time for Game of Thrones. Pedro. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then like without Fran, like Fran signing on is what made the green light happen. If we don't mm-hmm. have Fran, so I'll, I'll forever be grateful for Fran going like this is cool, this is good, and this is doing we're shooting this during pilot season, so I don't have to do pilot season and I can do your movie <laughs> in January and February, and then I'm gonna go do a play in New York in March, right? Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, Hated pilot season. <clears throat> yeah, so Pedro, I can always tell him Pedro's doing well because my name keeps coming up. There's two TikToks like doing around right now, which is really nice. One is like a role like a clip from a role that Pedro did for like every year of his career like starting in like 99 with like Buffy and yeah. going all the way so I'm just watching it and I'm like give it to me give it to me 2015 <laughs> blood sucking bastards I was like yeah it's for people one, who haven't go ahead go ahead yeah yeah and then there's one where there's a clip from the movie where he turns to Beth our friend Beth Russell uh who's this lovely funny you know bubbly energy girl she's like I'm a virgin you all are and he's like, yeah she's like ah and there's just the girl watching it going and then, like, the comments underneath that are some of the filthiest stuff I've ever read that did not, that did not, like, that wasn't explicit pornography. Like, one woman was like, I have to find out how to rent this movie and then reach into my bedside drawer. And you're like, Jesus. Well, just is- so just so she knows, it's Amazon. on Tubi. Yeah. Uh, it's, so it's, Amazon you know, Prime, so, yeah. Amazon Prime, Tubi, it's available. <laughs> Um, yeah. It's a very funny movie. People haven't seen it. It's sort of an office based meets Shaun of the Dead kind of thing. Uh, yeah. A company but with vampires, movie, yeah, with vampires instead of zombies. Mm-hmm. Uh, very funny movie. You wrote it you. with with um, your comedy team with Doctor God. And you all were in Dr. it. Doctor God, yeah. What was it like writing <clears throat> a movie with you know that many other co writers? Was that like well, was it well? It wasn't our first time. Doctor God is very good. We had written like Grease Truckers together and a couple others. We are very good about um, dividing and conquering. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so basically, kind of whoever comes up with the idea or pitches the idea to the group, that person is sort of like in charge. The same way in sketch of like you wrote the sketch, you're kind of producing it now. If it gets into the show, you're responsible for getting the props and all that. But when we write stuff, we'll always bring it back to the group. We'll always have a polish. And the very last thing we do is before we let anyone outside of the five of us read it, we do a brutal, like anything that's not a B plus or above joke, gone, right? Just mm-hmm. gone. <clears throat> so nothing ever leaves our circle without having all five of our hands stamped on it. And so it, it, it came together very quickly. We wrote that first draft because, you know, Ryan had our, uh, had already write, written the script. And so we were adapting something. So we had something to work off on in the first mm-hmm. place. We only did like one or two small tweaks that sort of like, fix the problem that they were kind of like too close to see anymore because yeah. you know, they had gone through so many drafts and so many directors at that point uh and then from there it came very quickly justin gets up early in the morning he would write like 6 a.m he would write to like noon or one sean would come over to my house uh we would write until five or six or uh, if we had to go bartend that night at io or mm-hmm. to seven or eight <clears throat> and then be like all right dinner and send it back and then justin in the morning would come and see what we'd written and then like there was only like so that first draft came together very, very quickly. I want to say like less than 15 days, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not that. And then since we know each other so well and we get along so well, we're the brothers that we never had. And we had already done so much writing and working together that we had such similar tastes in, in comedy. 
there was only like three or four times where like we would go like Justin would change a joke and we would change it and he would change it back again and we'd be like, all right, <laughs> what's your deal with this joke? What's the, what? Sure. Pitch it to me. What's the problem? And so that came together very quickly. And then everybody, you know, Justin was also a producer on it. He did a lot of like, uh, you know, a lot of writing on set. All of us were pitching things. Mm-hmm. And we just got lucky very, very quickly that we had the right people and the right crew and the, that cast, which is uh, being able to bring in also some of our friends and then also add these great names to the Dr. God family, like, you know, Pedro and, and Fran and Joey and mm-hmm. Joel Murray, we had known for a while, but like mm-hmm. Emma, Emma and I are writing something together right now. Oh, cool. So, yeah. <clears throat> she's so she, great. She's now. actually text. She, he, she is fantastic. She's texting me right now. So, <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I, I'll get back to you. I'll get back. Yeah. Tell her we, tell her we five, said hey. I got five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you guys are all improvisers, the writers of this movie and, and you as well. Uh, I know I don't want to everybody always asks like what was improv what was written I don't really care it's all how it comes together but as a well, director they, as a director yeah. how does improv maybe help you on set in terms of uh, what you're getting and what to you know being more open well, for sure. yeah the movie itself is probably about 85 to 90 percent scripted sure and maybe even a little bit higher like we really you know as a director what I always do is say Give me two or three takes. I don't do a lot of takes. It is rare for me to do like a fourth or fifth take of something. Mm-hmm. I usually just say like, hey, let's here's here's the professional agreement. Let's take what we have on paper and make sure we get it. And then I'll give you one or two to play with. And we'll just use the best versions and in the editing room. I'm not going to be precious about the words, but let's let's get it first. And people, I, and I'm an actor, so I'm an actor's mm-hmm. director. So actors know that they can trust me that I'm going to make them look good and that I know what t- I have a good taste so I, I'm not going to pick a uh, I'm not going to fall in love with the visuals and then put a performance that isn't good into the cut and so at that point I knew I knew we were in good shape when Joel Murray came up to me and said uh, or, uh Joey Kern came up to me and said hey hey Joel's got a pitch for a line I should say when I stab Dave with a pencil and then Joel comes over and goes uh, uh what if Joey were to say uh Yippee Ticonderoga. And I was like, that's hilarious. That's awesome. We're definitely going to use that. And Joe's like, yeah. And I'm like, he and Joel are like shaking hands. And I was like, yeah. we have actors, we have longtime professional comedian actors who are pitching lines of dialogue for other characters in scenes that they're not even in. I was like, we, we've got a good one here. I knew yeah. we were in good shape when the actors were like, liked it so much that they were like, Hey, what if you said this? Oh, that's great. Let's go ask Brian together. Right. And then they're like, That <laughs> sounds like a really was, fun shoot, man. Oh, it was. It we was only got, early on. We yeah. only got a minute and a half left. So I do want to give you this time right here Speedway. to yes. um any where can people still like see Dr. God shows? Where can people follow you? Anything else that you want to pitch? Yeah, we're working on it. We're getting here and there. Um, we're we're slowly but surely getting live stuff back. We've got a bunch of irons in the fire for Dr. God and Dr. God affiliated shows, <clears throat> uh, like television shows and movie projects. Uh, you can find me uh, at uh, at B3OC on Twitter and um, uh, Instagram and all that. I got a couple things coming up. I'm teaching a, a, a class in April on the deconstruction of the pack theater, completely online, all Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we added we added a second class because we just sold the first one out, nice. which I was very proud of. And I'm traveling to uh, Sacramento this weekend. I'm traveling to uh, Baltimore in March to teach. I'm traveling to Salt Lake City the first weekend of April to teach. Uh, I booked a couple of movies. I'm trying to like slow them, but surely feel like it's good. And I have uh, you know the Anarchist Cookbook, this other television project. And then I wrote an animated stop motion feature that it's looking for directors right now. So my hope is that what are all those ghosts so I can get money? Because right now all this shit is for free. <laughs> I hear that. 
Uh, okay, so with our last little bit of time, I want to get to know you on an even yeah. deeper level. What is sure. the meaning of life? Oh, I, I I can tell you, but you won't like it. It's 42. <laughs> um, if you could know your future but couldn't change it, would you want to or would you rather not know? Um, yes, I'd, I'd like to know just for no... Your meeting has ended. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to 39-Minute Conversations, hosted and produced by Brian T. Arnold. Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes, and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay, too. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.